0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: Hi everyone, this is Felicity. Just before we begin, this is sponsored content by Allium Capital.
0: Talk money to me.
1: Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me, your financial podcast where we explore the markets, investable ideas, and chat to industry experts to help you manage
2: your wealth. I'm Felicity Thomas. And I'm Candace Burke. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Today we have a really exciting and unique episode with Rajiv Gupta, one of the founding partners of Allium Capital. Now Raj has over 20 years experience analyzing, investing, and building tech companies. Yes, you heard that Right. He began his investment career at Goldman Sachs, where he worked for almost a decade in the investment group, being in New York, Hong Kong, and Singapore, with a focus on both listed and unlisted tech companies.
0: Big tech now trying to turn a corner after the worst month so far this year, but some analysts are now saying that's a buying opportunity.
2: NVIDIA ending the day higher by more
0: than
3: 2%, and it's up more than 220% since the start of the year.
0: AI has been here In fact, it's mainstream, right? I mean, search is an AI product, even the current generation of search, except they're all, I would say, today's generation of AI is all autopilot. Uh, In fact, it's
3: a black box that is dictating, in fact, how our attention is focused, whereas going forward, the thing that's most exciting about this generation of AI is perhaps we move from autopilot to copilot, where we actually prompt it.
1: Now, he then utilised his technology experience as a portfolio manager at both Tribeca Global and Merrick's Capital, where he ran the global technology funds. He also then built and exited a technology startup called Gecko Life.
2: Yeah, the the story behind that, Plistee, I found really interesting. Now, before we get into the conversation, a little bit more about Allium Capital. It was established back in 2016 and has invested in almost 100 companies to date. Their flagship fund is their Allium Alpha Fund, which sets it apart, really. This fund is set apart, I should say, because it's focused more on tech companies and businesses within the private and public market. So you get the best of both worlds.
1: Yeah, which we do love. Now the fund has returned a whopping 151% since inception. So annualised, that's an average, well over a simple average of 21.5% per annum, uh, with a CAGR of about 17% over the last seven years. Now it is available to wholesale clients now, when previously it was only available to family offices. Now before we get into our conversation, a quick reminder here, our chat is not considered Personal advice, even though we're registered advisors at Shore and Partners, please note that this podcast and the content discussed does not constitute personal financial advice, nor is it a financial product. And remember, everything that we talk about today is based on facts known at the time, which is the 7th of November 2023. Hi, Raj. Thank you so much for joining us on Talk Money to Me today.
3: Thanks, Felicity and Candace, for having me.
1: So, Raj, let's get into it. You've actually worked at a large part of your current career for Goldman Sachs, including heading up the technology research in the Asian region. You also then built and sold a tech business called Gecko Life before moving back to Australia and started Allium. Can you tell us a little bit more about this journey and how Allium came about? I mean, I'm particularly interested in how did you go from a tech founder to a portfolio manager?
3: So I started my career at Goldman in Asia and through that experience, it was analyzing and investing companies, ended up in the US and then ended up back in Asia. I then switched to clients of the firm, investing in private and public technology companies. And then having done that for 12, 13 years, I got the itch to then go and build a technology company. And I did that unsuccessfully for 1,312 days, where it was pains across people, products, etc. But then we were lucky to receive um, an investment, which allowed us to then move on to the next thing, which for me was moving back to Australia. And I said, I'd had this experience in building a tech company. I knew what it took to get it wrong. So let's focus on the things that make it right. And we set up Allium around seven years ago to focus on public-private technology companies, and it's been a good journey in that time so far. So the transition was almost an accidental one, but in hindsight, it was a natural one.
2: Absolutely love that. Essentially, you know, you what's the saying, Raj? You can't learn if you don't make mistakes and learn from it. So, you are literally that metaphor taken to its T. So, as you said, you've been going for about 7 years now and have been really successful in delivering investors returns. You know, before coming on the podcast, we had a quick look, approximately 20% per annum being your simple average for this period. So, fantastic job. So, I want to get into that more, you know, with you. Can you tell us more about the fund and the investment strategy?
3: So what we look for, Candace, are technology companies that can become good ASX listed or even internationally listed companies. So we invest quite late stage. We're not a venture capital firm, which tend to go earlier and make lots of investments. We make less investments, but we want them to be de-risked so they are appropriate candidates for listing. So since inception, we've invested in about 100 companies, 20 have gone public, 20 have been taken out by M&A. Um, and we are strongly of the opinion that the Australian environment for technology is still in its infancy. This is secular. Given what's happening at schools, universities, accelerators, incubators, mm. and the corporate environment, we think great technology for corporates and for consumer will come out of Australia over the next decades.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I was thinking about it earlier. I, I can't, even imagine meeting an investor today that doesn't have some exposure to tech whether they know it or don't know it so it's so important and just one quick kind of thought here because we noticed predominantly um, the fund is available has been only for family offices but now excitingly it's open to wholesale investors so why is that what's what's the change there what's the thinking behind it
3: so we were, we've we been very ad hoc in running the business the first couple of years. It was just about investing. We then got to a point where we realised that we've got to institutionalise this. We've got to democratise investing. And, you know, people are talking about, you know, private for longer, uh, access to private assets. So we thought that we would invest in distribution. Uh, so we hired a, an accomplished head of distribution to join us at the start of the year. And what we want to try and do is allow various parties, meaning individual superannuation funds in addition to the existing family offices that we have, to support the fund, give us capital to then identify assets that are in technology that generate a great return. So Candice, in in summary, I think it's about just democratising technology investing for people. That's what we're trying to do by becoming um, much more institutional looking, but going down the chain to a broader audience to invest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many various tech businesses, so it's nice to have a fund like you, where you've actually had the expertise, where you've run a tech business to know what to look for, to know what to invest in. Now, on Talk Money To Me, we absolutely love tech. We know it's driving advancement. So when you do write a check to invest in a private company, what are the main things that you're looking
3: for so I'll tell you by start answering that question I'll tell you what we're not looking for all right even better (laughs) when I had the tech company yeah when when I had the tech company I, I looked at all the various mistakes that we made and one simple one were the three c's and those three c's are caps cups and camps And what I mean by that is, you know, when you raise money, you go and spend on cups with a logo, caps with a logo, and then you go on these camps to try and build uh, community. It's an absolute and utter waste of money. The focus for any technology company should be in product, which is technology, and it should be in sales and marketing, which generates revenue. So what we are looking for, avoid the three Cs, gravitate towards the three Ps. And those three Ps are people, product and price. So in terms of people, we are acutely focused on the people being technologists that are running tech companies. If you look at the largest global technology companies that are winning today, they're all run by technologists. They're not run by people that did political science or did a business degree. They are people that can get on the tools. And that is important, especially early and mid-stage in tech, because when things break, you don't want to rely on anyone else as a founder or as a CEO, you want to be on those tools. So people is number one. We love to see more people in technology than we do in sales and marketing or you know, people now have like head of community, head of social, head of having fun, waste of money, focus on people, focus on people that build the product and sell the product. The second um, is product. We spend a lot of time understanding, is this product built in the right way? Is it scalable? Because in far too many technology companies, product is built once, the team then transitions, and then it needs to be rebuilt again. And the classic case here was when Microsoft bought LinkedIn, they, they effectively shut LinkedIn for six months because it did not integrate into the Microsoft suite of products. So they did a full rebuild and they had over 1,000 people on that. That's at scale. In smaller companies, it's very hard and takes a long time if you have to transition products. So for us, we spend a lot of time understanding the code, understanding the various tools that have been used to build that particular product to assess it for scalability. The third thing, uh, Felicity, is price. For us as an investor, we can't guarantee outcomes what we can guarantee is buying well. So we are very price sensitive. And I say this to everyone internally, we are almost a GARP investor in technology. And for people on the call, GARP stands for growth at a reasonable price. So we want to pay a good price for reasonable growth when we invest. In the last two years, as we're all aware, and both of you are aware, um, there's been a lot of euphoria. There's been recklessness in investing. In the last two years, we've actually not done anything. We've been sitting on the sidelines. Initially, we looked foolish, but now we look back and go, thank God, we don't have any overvalued assets because prices being paid back then were, were nonsense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you and your team really didn't get caught up in the FOMO, um, which is really good. And I think protecting investor capital is so important here. Uh, I love that you look at the three P's rather than the three C's. That's so great and very interesting for our listeners to know. And essentially with technology, right, you're just investing in, uh, I guess, founders that are solving a real life problem. Um, So I think that's super important and very interesting.
3: Oh, absolutely! It's uh, ultimately it's about solving for the consumer problem or the enterprise problem. Uh, the consumer problems tend to be a little bit more geographic and local whereas the enterprise customer can be global right so in australia you know obviously everyone knows lassian they've done an amazing job you know safety culture has done an amazing job there will be many many businesses that emerge out of australia as i said at the outset over the next couple of decades that solve problems for both consumers and enterprises.
2: Everywhere. 100% and as you said, you know, it's really smart business in tech to build the product, but then take it off and test 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 your market to perfect it. And as you said, at the top of the show, you know, you learned your lessons through the mistake. So we love that. And I, th- I think a great way for in our listeners and investors of your fund to get more insights into your investment strategy and the investments you've made to date was, you know, for seven years now, I'm sure you've had some winners. And some not-so-winners, right? So could you run us through your two best investment ideas, your two winners that perhaps, you know, you've, you've got right but, you know, made some issues along the way? Like what lessons have you learned from those journeys?
3: Um, So one of our larger positions today, which has been good for the fund, is a company called Koala. Um, Some of you may have seen their advertising. People think of them as a mattress company. When we invested in the business, uh, it was doing around $65 million of revenue. We were the first institutional capital that came in. Two boys from Byron Bay founded the business. And they've grown that business now to almost $300 million of revenue. Wow. And, that, and they are profitable. And interestingly, mattresses are less than 50% of business. So what else are they doing? So they have products in uh, – so they have the sofa bed. They have dining tables. They have office chairs. I'm currently sitting on one now. Um, they do uh, bed bases. They are moving into a new category this Christmas called Joey – which will be for babies and children. Um, and then they will also have outdoor furniture that they launched. So they started with a simple bed in a box, which was the mattress. And they've expanded now to 40 products. The other thing that people may not be aware of, Australia is only one part of their business. One of their fastest growing areas has been Japan. You can imagine the koala brand there would flourish, and it has. They've also moved into Korea. And one of the original founders recently just moved to the US to try and expand there as well. So that's been a very good business for us. Steve Smith, the Australian cricketer, is a shareholder in that business. We are confident that this will be a good public asset on the ASX over the next 12 to 18 months because it's a brand everyone knows there are comparables in Temple and Webster, Nick Scarly, and others and we think it'll be a good return for investors.
2: So I'm just going to guess here that the lesson would be in this case of a good investment you know they stuck to their knitting they really honed in on that one product and then diversified that's fantastic have you got a second one?
3: Yeah so the second one was I know it's a bit of a naughty word right now Uh, it's called crypto Um, we invested in an exchange that was originally out of melbourne that listed in canada and and that particular business gave us a 20 times return on our money and we got that within three years when the markets for crypto were hot thankfully we exited that position because the return was so good and i think that's an important lesson for us sell when you sell when you can not when you have to um, and so in that particular instance, you know, we made money, we moved on, uh, but it was certainly a case of had we held on, it would have burnt us.
2: Okay, that's a great lesson. Don't hold on, just, you know, take it and keep running for another idea. So what about a, an investment that has been a little bit, you know, kind of poor in the lessons around that?
3: Yeah, it happened in uh, the first 24 months of the fund's existence. The business was called Unlocked. It was, uh, you you had the Murdoch family that had invested in a very large Asian telecom company. They were effectively advertising model on the Android platform. So to unlock the Android phone, you had to look at an ad and then you basically got the phone for free. So it sounded intuitive and logical, but... What we got wrong is that they were on the Android platform and not on the Apple platform. So they're only on one platform and therefore they were competing with Google's own ad technology. That company was about to list, uh, it was five weeks from uh, its public offering, Google then banned them and the business effectively went to zero and we had to write it off. So we had a period of a week where none of us slept. We were just looking at ourselves and going, my God, how did we lose so much money on this? As it turned out in that particular month, the fund was only down two two and a bit percent. You know, we had good diversity. Um, But the lesson in that one was don't do single platforms. And it comes back to the second P around product do the work around the product. And we have spent much more time on every asset since then, focusing on product and de-risking it. But it also burnt a lot of cash. And that's something as an organisation we're very focused on. That was was burning almost a million and a half dollars a month um, but they did have the Murdoch's as backers. So maybe that was a mitigant. but it didn't matter. Um, since then, we always focus on businesses that are profitable or close to profitability. And as it stands today, 60% of the portfolio that Allium holds are in fact NPAT or positive profit companies. So that was a change in tune and tone for us. Yeah. And
2: as you said, it's the, um, it's the grap right, metaphor. So that's fantastic. And the final one,
3: um, so we also then invested in a business again during the days of euphoria prior to COVID, when things were moving at breakneck speed there was a transaction that was being done by a small uh, independent advisor um, there was only a little bit of capital that was available pricing looked good but we did not meet management and that was a big mistake they were based in wa and That company did not list. It needed to raise more capital. It was unable to, so it did not execute on its plan. But not meeting management, which is the first peak, the people, um, was a big mistake. Uh, You need to spend a little bit of time with the various constituents at a company management senior management all the way down we just didn't meet the big mistake
1: yeah senior management is so important and the leaders of the company we've said that a few times on talk money to me so i'm glad you've reiterated that now in a moment we're going to hear more about the private investments held in the fund and also raj's thoughts on the ipo market but before we do let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors And we are back. Now, the Australian stock market is largely dominated by banks and resources, yet Allium focuses on tech companies. Do you think we will see more tech listings on the ASX and is this a longer-term trend as our market
3: matures? When we started the fund in 2016, at that time, we looked at the ASX and technology was around 3 to 4% of the index. Um, at its peak, when Afterpay uh got to that high valuation and before it got taken out, tech had reached around 20%. We're still around 13 to 14% uh, given that stocks have pulled back. In our view, the secular trend is that it's going to the right and up. And the reason we have confidence in that is if you look in the US, when we started the fund uh, – Technology accounted for 52% of the index. It now accounts for almost 70% of the index. Now, we're not going to 70% of the index, but we're not staying at 13. So in our view, the 13 will creep up over time. So people do need to make a bet on technology being important in the country, technology being important in the, in the hands of private Um, investors like VCs and private equity. But at the same time, there will always be a sub-segment of companies that are appropriate to list on the ASX. And all you need to do is look at the likes of the Bassett brothers and Seek or look at Richard White from WiseTech All of these people have done well because they had an asset that was listed on the stock exchange and that's how they became wealthy.
1: Okay, Raj, so what do you think over time tech will reach? I mean, what would you like to see it at? I mean, we're not going to be like the NASDAQ, obviously, um, but what are your thoughts and predictions here?
3: Australia will always be very strong in natural resources and financial services. I do see the consumer and technology constituting probably 30 to 40% combined, and if I were to sub-segment it, I'd love to see technology make 30% of the index over the next five to seven years. And it is not inconceivable given the amazing companies and brands that exist in Surrey Hills and down in Cremorne in Melbourne. There's so much good technology in this country.
2: Yeah, we agree. And I think indirectly, you know, as you've identified, banks and resources is really heavily weighted on the ASX, but more and more these two sectors are investing in tech. To stay up with the time so I think indirectly it's going to creep up so that's fantastic and we want to see that as well now switching gears a bit the fund does hold listed companies um, but I know you can't discuss them in too much detail for privacy reasons however can you discuss some of the list of businesses in the tech space that have recently caught your eye and why? So it's interesting you ask that question, Candice. Um, we were pre-IPO in
3: two investors that have now been taken off the index. Um, one was Nitro, which got taken out last year, and one more recently, Damstra, which we'd been invested in for many years, just got taken out recently as well. We believe on the ASX, technology companies today are very well-priced they have been smashed from a stock performance standpoint but even yesterday you had whisper being taken out you know at a at a valuation of circa 60 to 70 million dollars and i think the peak was 500 we think you'll see more of this over time so some of the names that we have held have been before pay uh, big ten can one that we've liked uh, has been newx we think Australian technology companies that are generating profit or, or are on, on the cusp of generating profit will be attractive for retail investors to hold, institutional investors to hold, and for private equity to hold. So we think there will be demand in, in these companies over the next 12 to 24 months. They make good buying uh, at this point in time. And to give you a sense of valuation... One metric that people talk about is EV to sales. In the US, the multiple for companies that are growing greater than 40% year-on-year at the top line and are profitable, they trade at 9.5 times EV to sales. In Australia, that number is well below five times. So we think there's a significant expansion opportunity in valuation for Australian listed technology companies,
2: that's great to hear. And one quick comment here, if I can, I'd love to hear your thoughts. You mentioned, you know, Whisper's um, takeover offer of forty eight cents yesterday. Do you see this space heating up? In particular, you know, interested parties offshore because they do have just, as you identified earlier, such a larger market in this space. Do you think? Offshore investors will be looking at our Aussie Tech more and more.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the question for every potential investor into these businesses is: do you buy or do you build? And building is very expensive, and building takes a lot of time. Um, It's often easier to buy. And when companies are listed on the ASX, you can be confident that governance is high and reporting is strong. And that mitigates one of the risks. Buying a business that's private requires a lot more due diligence. Buying a business that's listed requires just regulatory tick-off and just making sure you're comfortable numerically with the business and management. So we think it's a good way of buying businesses, which is why in the last 18 months we've seen 20 to 25 tech companies be delisted because they've been purchased. There's also something in the US which used to exist 15 years ago, which is coming back again. People are buying technology companies on the basis of hire. And what that means is that you look at the total number of engineers and you put a value on those engineers and you buy businesses because you can use those engineers in the product that you may have and in the product that you're requiring with businesses. So we believe the likes of Whisper yesterday was likely purchased by the North Sydney company backed by Potentia on the basis of Aquahire. It just makes sense to buy as opposed to build.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And those are some really good insights. I do think Whisper, though, is kind of selling themselves short here. And I did think Nitro did also. We're also kind of seeing, because we love Nitro. We did talk about it on Talk Money to Me. It was one of our high conviction ideas. Um, And that actually worked out for most investors, which is good. We're also kind of seeing, right, a lot of these smaller tech companies actually delisting and just becoming private again, Um, rather than, saying not staying on the public market because of the hard it's been in the scrutiny. What are your thoughts and comments around that? I mean, we're seeing it with Split It, um, which is a bit of a takeover. What
3: else are we, what are your thoughts? I think there's this diversion in quality. I think the ones that listed because they had to and have struggled and haven't shown profitability, it makes sense for them to delist. That said, businesses that are on their way to profitability, despite all the governance around being listed, it could just make so much more sense. And, and one thing that we say to our portfolio of assets and, you know, the 20 that have listed and Nitro being one of them, uh, we were involved in that public offering. Once you're a listed asset, you can suspend your stock at 4.10 p.m. You can go raise $50, 60000000 million and you can acquire a business overnight, despite there being planning around it, and you can be back on the boards at 10 a.m. A private company cannot do that. A private company's capital raise can take six, nine, 12 months. I think the power of being public is underestimated. I think there's a lot of people that are far too negative about companies being listed. We are certainly not one of them. We're an advocate and we want more companies to list.
1: That makes sense. Uh, Now, you've recently been to an offsite where you caught up with the CEOs of your 12 largest holdings, which is actually about 70% of your current portfolio. How do you feel about these meetings? I mean, evaluations looking higher. Are there any trends that you've noted?
3: Yeah, so we came back from our offsite, which we hold quarterly and have for the last seven years. The cadence of companies positively surprised us. And to give you a sense in terms of the stage and scale of the businesses for calendar twenty three, the revenue numbers for each of them varied from fifteen million to thirty million to twenty four, fourteen, fifty seven, ninety, fifteen and $25 million of annual revenue. And this is looking back. They're all generally profitable, which I think is a big positive with regards to the portfolio of assets that we hold. And we think several of these companies will be listed over the next 12 to 18 months when those companies thaw. In terms of theme, one of the strongest ones, which is no great surprise, is artificial intelligence. People are using AI internally to become more efficient. And they are using AI in their technology products that they're building. And then thirdly and importantly, many of them are using AI to gain more customers and provide better customer service with their products. So AI was a dominant theme and we think it becomes stronger. Importantly, I think AI is a way of doing work. And it's a way of lowering cost and it's a way of expanding your margin and revenue. And we were encouraged that all the businesses are doing it.
2: That is fantastic to hear because as, as we're all hearing, it's the age of efficiency, right? I can't wait to have my co-pilot, you know, hang out with me more and more on a work daily basis. Now, you said something interesting that most of these companies, as you said, are, are profitable, which is fantastic. They're hitting your numbers, which you're excited about with the thought in mind of an exit strategy what are your thoughts on the ipo market because it has been pretty dry you know any insights from the boardroom chats you're having is there a kind of timing for next year or beyond what are your thoughts there
3: it has been the toughest period in 25 years if you look at the statistics so since 2003 the average number of ipos on the asx was 106. We, in this last 12-month period, have had less than 20, and most of those have been in either industrials or they've been in the mining space. There has been a hiatus. We have spoken to lawyers, accountants, and importantly, the ASX. The pipeline is building. In the US, it started to open, but it will not open with the same flutter that we saw it close where there were so many companies that were pushing out the door. The businesses need to be stable in terms of growth, not just high hyper growth, and they need to be profitable. In our opinion, the market will start to thaw on the ASX for technology probably in 1Q, 2Q next year. We think it'll be stronger in the second half of the year. And that's where we're prepping our companies to get the audits done. You know, start appointing bankers, lawyers and accountants to prep. We think calendar 24 and 25 will resume the cycle that we saw in 18, 19 and 20.
1: So now really is the time to start getting invested, uh, to look at funds like yourself uh, and to look at these high quality businesses. Now, on Talk Money To Me, we love investable ideas. So Raj, can you leave us with three companies that you'd buy and hold for the next few years and a brief reason why.
3: So I will give you an offshore one, a domestic one, and one that will go public. My favorite company of all time has been for years. Uh, Disclosure, I do own it, is Microsoft. You know, Microsoft's been around since the eighties. The most extraordinary thing with Microsoft is their ability to generate mid 30% margin at that size is extraordinary. In our own business, and we're a small business, you know, we have endured 100% price increases over the last seven years of having the fund. But you know what? They could continue to increase them because we're not switching. So once you get to that point where you have pricing power, you know you're entrenched. It's a business in consumer. It's a business in enterprise. It's a business across the globe. I think that this could be our first $10 trillion asset over the next couple of years, if they continue to grow margins. Uh, The second one that I like domestically on the ASX is Nuix. It was a very successful IPO. It then did drop significantly due to some class action and poor guidance. Uh, In our private research uh, of the company over the last couple of months, we believe that their customer retention has been strong. We believe that there will be a product upgrade, which will come with a price increase. And we think the numbers for the next couple of years could be upgraded. As it stands today, it's it's, it's trading around three times sales. Palantir in the US is a direct comp. We think something like Nuix could be a decent takeover target. But Fundamentally, we think its numbers will get stronger and you will see some valuation expansion. The third company I want to discuss is in our private portfolio. It's called Design Crowd. It is a mini Canva, which we all know, know about. Uh, Design Crowd recently purchased uh, very successfully the brand Design.com. So they now own that. Our Australian company owns Design.com. That will help them with their organic business. And here's a company that generates $60 million of revenue and does EBITDA margins of 15%. So we think this could be a successful IPO on the ASX sometime in calendar 2024. Everyone loves Canva. You've got to love Design Crowd. Absolutely.
1: We love Canva. We use it. And after chatting about Design Crowd, we actually started looking at it and it was actually very easy to use as well. So you heard it here first, Microsoft, a $10 trillion asset, Nuix, is is coming back and watch out for design crowd on the ASX in the coming years. So Raj, how do investors get in touch with you and your team to actually find out more about your
3: fund? You can come to my colleague, uh, head of distribution, Matt Newham, if you go to the Allium CAP website, which is com. There is a link to investors and we can certainly send across anything that's needed. To everyone on this call, I do have a special treat. We talked about Koala, which is the furniture company that we own. I have got everyone that listens to Felicity and Candace a special 30% off Koala code. Please insert two, five, E-G-R- g k b uh, in the discount code and you'll get 30% off please buy it they do need revenue
1: (laughs) absolutely and we'll put that code in the show notes below we love a good discount thank you so much for organizing that for our listeners we really appreciate it
2: and thank you so much for joining us on talk money to me today thank you again So that's a wrap, guys, with our conversation today. Jump on that discount code, particularly if you're looking for a Christmas present for a loved one. We hope you enjoyed the show. Now, before we sign off, please remember, although Felicity and I are financial advisors at Shrine Partners, as always, our chat today does not constitute as personal financial advice. Go out and seek your own professional advice before you make your investment decisions. Everything we spoke about are based on the facts known at the time of recording, which is the 7th of November, 2023.
1: And make sure you follow us at at talk money to me podcast for daily market updates and if you enjoyed the podcast please give us a five-star review on apple podcast or spotify we haven't had a review in ages guys and remember if you've got any questions or you want to ask us anything or you want to look at investing in this fund you can contact us tmtm at equitymates.com we'll be back next week until next
2: time see you then